Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Weekly. I'm Stuart Christensen, the writer and editor. Every Tuesday, our podcast hopes to provide you with the information of the world. Today, new treatments begin to enter testing phase for COVID. Giant hornets are beginning to invade and a new perspective on the virus in New York City with Mr. Reinhardt. On Wednesday last week, Dr. Fauci reported on the progress made by the drug remdesivir. He said that in a test, the drug had reported accelerating the COVID recovery time by 31%. Although he said that this is not a large difference, it is large enough to make him consider it as a treatment. The president then reported that he would accelerate an FDA approval of the treatment as the country begins to reopen. As of this week, reports of the great Asian hornet have surfaced in the United States. The three by two inch beast of an insect has wreaked havoc on the Asian honeybees and also some people. The insect's sting contains venom that is able to vaporize flesh. In most cases, the stings are fatal. The hornet can fly at around 25 miles per hour and fly in large swarms. In short, this is not a very good thing that they're in the United States. One of the most interesting facts about the hornets is the way that the Asian honeybees are able to repel the scout hornets. They swarm the hornet and flap their wings fast enough to suffocate the great Asian hornet. This defense system is only active on the Asian honeybees, so the honeybees in the United States could be in very big trouble. Unemployment in the United States is becoming a larger problem. Tons of jobs are not in need of staff and millions are being laid off. Many question how long-lasting the effects of this economic crisis will be. This leads to more citizens joining the coalition for reopening the American economy. While reopening the economy will surely help some of the financial ramifications of the virus subside, we will see a health crisis reappear as people begin to congregate more in jobs. Farms in middle America are really feeling the pain from the coronavirus. Restaurants and schools are closed, forcing the backlog of produce to skyrocket. Suicides are also increasing in middle America because of the failure of the farming sector. Trump has promised agricultural aid, but this has only reached the more wealthy farms. The state of Texas is in particular trouble, not necessarily because of its economic situation, but mostly because of its current testing situation. The state ranks around ninth in the country in terms of cases, but ranks one of the lowest in terms of the number of tests. And now on the markets over the past week, the Dow has dipped below $24,000 after a very successful climb over the past few weeks. The S&P index shows a similar fate to the Dow currently. The tech giant Apple also saw a 4% rise this past week. In addition, the company has recently launched a new MacBook and a string of upgrades over the spring, all leading to their WWDC conference this June. Boeing saw a 4% loss this week as plane orders are non-existent. Emirates Airline have grounded their entire wide-body fleet of Airbus A380s and Boeing 777s. Airbus is seeing a similar trend to Boeing, although they are seeing gains as Europe begins to exit from the coronavirus crisis. And now for our interview with Mr. Reinhardt. Hear me? me? Yeah, I can hear you. 
All right. All right. Great. Great. Um, um, hello, hello, Mr. Mr. Reinhardt. Um, um, how are you doing? Oh, doing well. Well, <laughs> considering the, the circumstances, Stuart, thank you. All right. That's good, good to hear. hear. Um, so I guess that what I want to talk about is what living in New York City has been like over the past month and a half. Right. It, it, it's it's certainly uh, not been uh, business as usual. Um, really, we really got the first taste of what to what of what to us really come um, on. Like I said, March 11th, roughly when as frivolous as it sounds, the National Basketball Association shut down uh, all operations. Uh, college basketball tournaments around the country essentially took players off the court. Uh, the children's schools were shut down. Uh, indefinitely, um, and there was a, a very wild rumor going around that uh, Wednesday the 11th and Thursday the 12th that uh, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio were going to essentially lock down the city uh, and declare it a, a hot spot. And so um, over the course of that weekend, uh, things began to deteriorate. Uh, the city was rife with rumors. Uh, we went out to uh, a couple of dinners and um, the owners of the restaurants and uh, and the staff there were very, very nervous. They had already put in place uh, social distancing between tables. Um, and then on Monday, the 16th of March, all non-essential businesses were closed. And then by the 20th, we were under a shelter at home order. Okay. okay. Um, do you think that based on the, um, based on the, um, the like, uh, what the, do you say? Like, uh, the, the lockdown in New Rochelle. Do you think that you probably had more cases than you knew in New York City at the time? New York City at the time. Without without a question, without a doubt, um, absolutely, uh, we knew. We know also from the lockdown in New Rochelle. We knew from the fact that we were a major uh, port of entry for travelers around the world uh, via the two international airports. We now know most of our cases came from Europe, not from Asia. And uh, it, it was fairly clear from news reporting um, that, that I've been in, had access to that uh, the virus was here in late January and early February. And people were just uh, assuming it was uh, the seasonal flu or a common cold if their effects were mild. Um, and we had many people walking around who were showing, you know, no signs uh, at that point. But yes, the virus was here much earlier. It's become quite apparent. Okay, so we talked about okay, so um, we talked what happened about, in um, March. What happened um, in March? Now let's talk about um, what happened now in let's April. Talk about what happened in April? Sure. So April April was a was it was a rather grim month. We we sort of uh, hit the top um, of the curve, if you will. Um, we, we essentially had hospitalizations uh, in, in New York State that were over 18,000. Um, of, of the three individuals that we're very close with who are all frontline doctors, uh, one in Brooklyn, uh, one in Manhattan, and one in Newark, uh, they were overrun. They were working multiple back-to-back -back shifts. Uh, they didn't have proper uh, PPE. They didn't have ventilators. Um, the, the New York City Police Department was reporting an 18 daily, 18% daily absentee rate. Uh, you essentially had, uh, calls to 911, which on an average day is about 3000. Uh, you had that spike to 6,500 on March 30th, uh, and, and really didn't, didn't go down until the end of April. Um, so it, it was a very grim time. You had hospitals placing refrigerated trucks outside uh, to handle the overflow of bodies. You had the desert nursing homes uh, just begin uh, to sort of c 
come into the fray and to understand what was going on there. And that didn't really come apparent until there was that one nursing home in New Jersey that had, a, I believe, in somewhere in the number of 17, 18 bodies that were just piled up in a room. Um, it was actually uh, something out of a horror movie, um, to be perfectly honest. Okay. Um, okay. So now um, what happened so now what with happened the ship with the, 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 uh, the Javits uh, Center Convention Center, Center convention turning into Center, a hospital? Turning into a hospital. Yeah, that's a good question. So what happened was in late March, the federal government sent the hospital ship Mercy up here. And it's initially its its mission was to to handle the overflow uh, of, of patients who were non coronavirus related. Uh, it it wound up that wound up not being the case with the ship, which was definitely sent up by the federal government. Um, and it wound up treating somewhere if you it's, it's hard to really understand, but they did treat Corona patients, but it wound up uh, treating during its time here. It did just depart last week between 128 and 188 patients. The Javits Center was set up to handle uh, overflow both uh, of COVID-19 related and non, and it handled about a thousand patients until it was shut down this week. And then we had a 188 bed uh, sort of tent set up by a nonprofit affiliated with the um, uh, with Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, called Samaritan's Purse set up in Central Park, which handled uh, about 300 patients. That's being dismantled. There are no more patients there. And we still have one center that's open at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center where they play the U.S. Open uh, tennis tournament. And that is still open, but I don't have exact numbers for how many people it's treating. But essentially, all the main field hospitals have been shut down as of this week. Okay, so okay, now so you're basically, now you're seeing, basically seeing a shutdown a of a shutdown lot of the overflow, of the overflow hospitals that have opened for COVID. For COVID. Um, you're starting um, to see like a stabilization. I'm not going to say a decline, but a stabilization. Absolutely. We're seeing a, we're seeing a stabilization. Um, we're seeing, for instance, uh, you know, yesterday the, the death toll uh, was 226 in the state. Today it's 2:30. It's an uptick of four. That 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 that's really not that bad. At the height of this, the second week of April, we had we were having 800 people a day die in the state. And if you average that out, that's essentially one every two minutes, which is a hideous number. I mean, 226 to 230 is a horrible number, but it's down drastically. Uh, the number of new hospitalizations yesterday, which is which is way down, and the. And the total number of virus patients in the hospital uh, as of yesterday was uh, just under 9,700, which is down from 18,000 at the height. So we have definitely stabilized at this point. Um, and uh, what we're hearing from the same doctors that I told you about earlier on the front lines is that they are actually starting to scale back. They are not working nearly as much. Uh, they, are, they are not overrun. And uh, in terms of one of the doctors, uh, he's able, starting to go back to his cardiologist uh, sort of primary care. Role. Okay. And okay, you are and you are not like you are you are like not ready like, to open up like at ready all. To open you're just you're just in a mode of sort of like intermediate recovery. Um, I'd intermediate say. recovery, I'd say. Absolutely, absolutely. The governor yesterday released, uh, I believe it was uh, somewhere between a seven and a ten point plan that was would implement reopening and it had sort of those same seven to 10 steps 
uh, sort of, you know, and you could you could imagine they range they range from hospitalizations going down to deaths going down uh, to certain amount of uh, ICU beds available to a certain amount of PPE on hand. And New York City currently only meets two requirements. Now, some of now there's some regions in upstate meet five of, I believe, the seven requirements. So they're going to open up sooner. But in in New York City, even though uh, the sort of the, the sort of the uh, stay-at-home orders end May 8, May fifteenth. That's not going to be happening for us. They'll they'll, they'll be extended. As a reopening state, a are, reopening you state are you starting um, to get worried about sort of like travel um, between sort of like travel um, between the growing um, hotspot states of hot Massachusetts, Massachusetts and possibly the and district, possibly of the Columbia district as well. of Columbia as well. Well, th that's a great question. First of all, the main thing to understand about New York City is that it's not New York City. New York City comprises, it's the tri-state area is really New York City. So you have Northern New Jersey and Connecticut and really, and New York uh, City. So because you have so many people who used to come to work in New York and then go back to live in Northern New Jersey and, and sort of Fairfield County, Connecticut, that when we talk about New York City, it's almost an extension up to Massachusetts where I know you all are experiencing, I believe, the spike in cases yeah. and down to to yeah. Washington, it might not extend that far, but but definitely it, it's something to be concerned about. But it's also comforting to know that seven governors came to, to together yesterday uh, and all sort of are working together and stipulated that uh, that they needed to have, that they will work together to buy PPE safety in numbers. They can they can leverage uh, sort of the different companies better if they work together. Uh, and that they have to have a 90 day supply of PPE available. Um, so concern, yes. Does it seem as if people are traveling quite a bit these days? No. Um, so I think it's it, my concern would be mitigated somewhat by the relationship and, and the collegiality between the governors. OK, um, OK. So um, now I'm going to sort of switch so between sort of phase switch one of our interview, one which of our is interview, about which the coronavirus, about the coronavirus, and um, and now um, I'm going to sort of switch switch gears to um, the governmental response to the coronavirus. So my big question so my for question you is for you how would you compare how would you the New York State response to the federal response to the federal response? Um. The first thing to understand about that is, and I try to say this without any bias whatsoever, is that from a New York City perspective, from the average person on the street in New York City, the federal response has been an abject disaster. Um, first, I think the most important thing to understand is that the previous administration was concerned enough about a pandemic, uh, mainly through their experience with Ebola, that they established uh, not only a White House directorate on pandemic response, which was part of the National Security Council, but they came up with a 70-page pandemic playbook for the current administration, which was promptly thrown away, as was the pandemic office in the National Security Council in May 18 by National Security Advisor at the time, John Bolton. Um, for, we know from reporting that the current uh, Health and Human Services Administration Department, excuse me, in October 18, came up with a sort of virtual virtual game planning out uh, of a person who left China on a plane, flew to Chicago, 
with this type of coronavirus or a type of coronavirus and infected most of the United States of America. And it, ironically enough, this game plan was called Operation Crimson Contagion. At the same time, uh, the president's councils of economic advisors were running a, a, a sort of sister uh, program, if you will, to assess what the potential economic damage from all this. And so they had numbers and and they had scenarios at their disposal. And for some reason, you know, you had multiple denials that this was a problem through the months of January and February. We were we were told it was one person on a plane from China. We were told this wasn't a problem. It was 15, 15 cases that would go down to two and zero. We were told it would disappear with a hot weather. And we were told potentially a miracle would come in. Um, at, 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 and, and, and at that point, then when that became patently false, uh, it was left, it was openly left up to the states to sort of fend for themselves and to find ventilators and to find PPE and to find their own testing. We know for a simple and basic fact that the CDC's test, initial test on the coronavirus was a disaster and that the FDA sort of fumbled the response of, of figuring out how to approve this test or not. And then they came out with a statement that if this had been a private company, they would have shut them down. So there was no testing. There was no federal response with PPE or ventilators. We were left on our own. And then, frankly, all of a sudden, unbeknownst to, to us, we were told that uh, the president of the United States has total authority to open the states whenever he chooses. Two days later, it was then back up to the governors, according to the federal government, to decide when to open. And uh, there was tweets going out to liberate Michigan and to liberate Virginia and to liberate uh, uh, Minnesota. And then when the governor of Florida uh, made his decision to reopen his state, he was scolded by the president. So th this paints a very murky picture at best uh, of the federal response. The state response, now again, states have limited resources. States can only do so much, but Governor Cuomo uh, and the state of New York have handed out 3.1 billion in unemployment benefits. They've given, and this might seem like a small number, but it's rather important, 25 million to state farmers uh, to buy the produce and the meat and, uh, and all the different food stocks that they have that are going to rot and give to homeless shelters. The state legislature has essentially passed seven bills. Uh, their state aid to localities, state education, housing for family assistance for the 2021 physical year, transportation, economic development, envi environmental conservation, um, COVID relief. Uh, you see where I'm going with this. The state with limited resources has is doing about as good a job as it can, to be honest with you, with, with what they have available. Right, because on, right, on because one side, on one side, you have you Big Donald, Big Donald, the lady with a hundred million hairless scars, Doctor Burks, Doctor Burks, Doctor Fauci, Dr. and Mike Fauci Pence, and Mike Pence, who are doing doing pretty much nothing pretty much to help nothing right now. Help but then right now. in New York City, you have New York Governor, City, Cuomo, you have like, Governor Cuomo, like doing everything, doing to, everything help out. to help out. And, and it's it's more than just doing everything to help out, which is incredibly important. Is that is that his? I don't know if you've had a chance to witness them, but but his news conferences every day are they're they're fact based. There he tells the people of New York State the truth as best he has it, and uh, in a way, while they might not be comforting, 
uh, I feel that the general state of the populace is they prefer to know the truth and be warned up front of what is to come than to be comforted with 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 falsities. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So okay, here's so my last here's question. my last question. What have we, what not, have we not been seeing in the news, seeing about the news about New York City, New York City, and Brooklyn, and Brooklyn? I th I think the what 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 we you know what you haven't been seeing is a city that for decades during the 70s uh it during the the financial crisis of the 70s a lot of this country wrote new york city off during the crime ridden years of the 80s uh and the early 90s new york was written off uh, after 9-11 new york was written off to a certain extent after sandy new york was written off i think right now you're seeing a city brought to its knees you're seeing a city in a lot of pain and you're seeing a city uh, very weary of its future, both economically and health-wise. But I, I do think that being in Brooklyn and in New York in general, be still intact. And one day, uh, New York will hopefully return to a place uh, of whether that's new normal, previous normal, or something different. I don't know, but it would be very hard for me after living through all of this in New York City to to write it off. Okay. okay. Well, thank well, you very much. Thank Mr. you very Reinhardt. much, Mr. Reinhardt. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the weekly. Next week, we will have a part two interview to this episode, still based on New York City. We will be playing every Tuesday afternoon. I'm Stuart Christensen, and until next Tuesday, have a wonderful week.